Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. As we discussed a few weeks ago in our uh, goals for 2021 episode, this year, Stephen and I are going to be taking a bit more time to talk about our own projects and reflecting on what's going on. And today is one of those episodes. So a big welcome to my co-host, Stephen Feldman. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ed. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's been a rough start to the year because, unfortunately, my wife has had COVID and my kids have tested positive, although happily we're all doing doing well health-wise. But it's meant, of course, quarantining and it, coming right after a long Christmas break where we were kind of in the house the whole time. It hasn't, it's been stressful, I have to admit. Oh, that's tough. Well, hope, I'm glad to hear they're all all surviving it and have recovered and uh hopefully you don't get it because uh, well it's it's funny because i i of course went and got tested and i've tested negative but i don't see yeah you know obviously we're all in one not so big flat so it, it's difficult to see how i could not have had it but so far no symptoms in any way shape or form so so let's see either way hopefully we can put it behind us so i'm not sure whether we're on the downslope yet, but hopefully we're at least at the plateau. Exactly, exactly. So, so what's happening in? The, let's let's not talk about pandemics and viruses, except in any way that they impact geo. What's happening at OpenCage? Well, obviously, the that has impacted my work a bit in that I've been it's been hard to keep focus. But yeah, we've had actually a fairly rough start to the year. I have to say, we have several customers have downgraded or canceled outright, and you know, we we most of our customers pay by credit card, and so it's kind of it's done via the payment processor Stripe, and and it's a kind of on a monthly subscription, and we see a lot more failed charges. Um, due to insufficient funds and things like that. So I, I think I don't really have anything to attribute that to beyond the economic impact of the, the lockdowns and things. I mean, so I think that's really started to trickle through, you know, whereas at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, people have still had their savings or whatever, or various government relief programs and things. I really think it started to, to trickle through the system. So that's it's been a bit demoralizing, I have to say. But you know, obviously, all we can do is go forward. So we've been spending a lot of time working on kind of how our, our marketing of the service, trying to make the service better known. That, that's kind of my area of focus in the in the last month or two. Meanwhile, my colleague has been working much more on, you know, the software side and the actual core geocoding. So there's a lot going on there as well. But but my focus has been on marketing. So we have a lot of different things working there, trying out some different channels. It's a challenge. I have to say, because with the geocoding service, you know, you either need it or you don't. And no amount of marketing is going to make you need it. So it's all about how do we how do we position ourselves in a cost effective way so that when you do need it, you become aware of it. You're already aware of us and you give us a try and hopefully we're on your short list. So not so simple. Not so simple because it's a fairly low profile element that a developer is going to be incorporating into an application as well. That's right. It's a, you know, it's not yeah. like 
it's a it's a very back end kind of service. You know, you don't you you yeah. can't really go to someone's website and see like oh they must be heavy users of geocoding or um, usually it's kind of very back office and usually it's only of course one piece of a larger kind of data pipeline. So it's all about how do we integrate with other different software packages and things like that. That's what we're working on. What have you been doing marketing wise? That's well. What have you been trying? Actually, one this is one thing we could discuss is, you know, of course, we have a company Twitter account. And usually in the past, we've used that occasionally to announce when we have a new feature or something, but also just to kind of highlight things going on in the OpenStreetMap community and retweet, you know, various members of the OpenStreetMap community worldwide. And we still do that, but we have started this whole idea of Twitter threads. So now once a week, I've been doing for about, I don't know, maybe less six or eight weeks, different Twitter threads, either about various features of our service and attributes of our service, or about, you know, questions that we often get, you know, so so as an example, last week, I did a thread about the difference between geocoding, which is what we do, and IP geolocation, which is, you know, deriving the location from from an IP address. And this is something that comes up all the time. People, you know, people sign up for our service, even though we try to make it entirely clear what we do. People sign up for our service and they're like, I, how do I do an IP address? And I'm like, well, well, you don't. We don't do that. But so basically, but the idea is we do these Twitter threads where we kind of discuss these kinds of issues and help educate people, not with the assumption that that's going to turn anyone into a customer immediately, but hopefully it helps kind of position ourselves as you know thought leaders in this space and and also an account just worth following so because people will learn things and and then hopefully they learn things and then six months from now when they actually need geocoding you know as i said we're, we're kind of top of their list so my one request to you dear listener if you are not yet following open cage on twitter get out there and do it at open cage is our handle and uh hopefully you'll enjoy the content we're putting out and and you'll learn a bit along the way and I would I'd echo that because I think actually the tone is is light, it is enjoyable, and it is interesting. You know, and I've I've been in the industry for a long time. You know, started out in geocoding right at the very beginning, and I still found some interesting bits that I didn't know there. And I think just as a marketing approach, those weekly tr- Twitter threads are quite a useful approach to getting the name spread further because a thread of about 10 tweets which is i think roughly what yeah, they it's are, about that. people pick up on one of those and you you know you see it in your stream sometimes somebody retweets one element in a thread you click on that one tweet and then you see the whole stream and the next thing you're doing is you're following the person and it i think it does work you know certainly if i look at the people that i follow on twitter several of them have come because there was a thread that got retweeted and that got me interested in the person who originated the thread. So I think it's a good approach. Also, I think you know, one of the things that we all need to think about when we're marketing is where is my audience? You know, And the problem if you're marketing a geocoding service or any sort of back-end technical service is that your audience are technical people, basically. You know, you've got a You've got to promote the benefits of your service to a technical audience. And where do you find a technical audience who may be working in a hundred different marketplaces? And the answer is probably something like Twitter is where you're going to get a 
a much higher concentration of those people. So it's a good it's a good place to be working. Don't think it's going to give you massive results, but you know, gradually building brand awareness, I think it will work. Well, that's the hope. I mean, the the big challenges with any kind of brand building marketing is, of course, it's it's very difficult to attribute an eventual purchase to that marketing. So, you know, if someone sees the threads today and we stick in their memory and maybe they follow us and then, you know, six months from now, when they actually have a project where they need us, and you know, it's just very difficult to say, oh, how did you know how did they learn about us and what what was it that led to that purchase and 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 thus assign back any kind of return on investment to the marketing effort. That's the negative of it, of course. It's almost an act of faith, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. You know, you've you have to believe that if you if you get the word out about what you're doing and you keep doing that and your business starts to grow. And your business has grown, you know. I mean, I've been advising Open Cage for, I don't know, quite a long time now. And I remember the early numbers and I know where we are now, you know, and the business has grown substantially over the years. You have to think that getting the word out has worked. Yeah, I mean, and I do come across people who have heard of us and, and you know, I see people mention us and things like that. So, but yeah, it, it, it does require kind of this act of faith and, and that patience. Luckily, we're we're in the position where we can afford to invest in these type of long term things. So, and you've been doing some stuff on Reddit as well. Some stuff on what on Reddit? Yeah, we've been experimenting with Reddit. Yeah, um, actually, I've been as an experiment. I've been kind of promoting the this very podcast there. So, a big welcome to all of our listeners who have come come from Reddit. You know, there's some active geo communities there. It's kind of its own world, Reddit, that requires. Um, <laughs> Some you know, there's a bit of a learning curve to get the vibe right, but and I probably it varies based on the what they call the subreddit, so which individual topic. But there's no denying there are a lot of people on Reddit, a lot of people. We'll, we'll do some experiments there to see how we can maybe tap into that audience and help them become more familiar with our brand. So I realize I'm showing my age because I just don't understand Reddit at all. Well, yeah, I mean, welcome, welcome to our scary digital future, Stephen, because. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I myself now I've reached the point where like, you know, I don't even attempt all the new ones like TikTok and, and all these different ones. It's just this is kind of an interesting open question, though. You know, will it be the case that the Internet is a new industry, right? And it kind of the consumer Internet came out in, let's say, in the last 25 years. And will it take the form more of, you know, the car industry where when the car industry first came out, we had hundreds of brands, hundreds of companies, and then eventually they all consolidated into, you know, now they're worldwide 10 big car companies, right? And they do offer in different brands, but but fundamentally it's 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 10 or even fewer companies. Yeah. Or will it take the form where, you know, will it be the case like what we've seen so far on the internet is you have these brands that that emerged, so Yahoo, and then Yahoo is supplanted by a Google, and then a Facebook comes along and everyone switches to Facebook. And then, you know, it, is it the case that every five years there's gonna be a new one and the old ones kind of fall by the wayside? I mean, you can, you, you may recall what the days when everyone had their MySpace page or whatever, and and somehow they all just kind of drift away. And there's always a new a new hot thing and that we're always moving to the new thing. I think it'll be the former. The idea that a Google or a Facebook will drift away with 
the colossal resources and wealth that they've generated seems unlikely to me. I mean, will they keep eating the competition and transform themselves? Yes, probably. But I don't think they'll drift away. Well, but... I mean, what's more of a threat is that um, in the States, you know, with the new government, there's going to be increasing pressure to break up the tech monopolies. And I think that, you know, in the way, you know, I mean, you cited the car companies, which were never sort of heavily regulated by the monopolies laws in any of the countries around the world, I don't think. But if you look at the telcos, they got broken up, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. You know, the banks got broke, you know, aren't allowed to get too big. So, you know, but I think that um, we are certainly going to see this churn going on, you know, and things like TikTok and Instagram, which I have to say, I don't use them. I don't understand them. But what I do know is that the new social media is much more visual than the textual social media like Twitter that you and I are probably more familiar with. And um, gradually, you know, you can see the big players absorbing those kind of trends. Um, Twitter tried for a while. And I think, you know, we'll see. We'll see it in tech generally, you know, they'll keep eating the new children. How many new children will actually grow to be colossi? I don't know. I think we're in a a fairly grim monopoly era at the moment. Um, The big guys get bigger and stronger and everything we try and do to peg them back, they seem to just dance around it. True. True. Yes, maybe you're getting a bit cynical. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, tell us tell us a bit how your so projects are going, Stephen. Give us the update. Okay, so I've spent uh, the last few weeks since we spoke. I'm, the high point for me is that I got vaccinated, which was well great. Well done, um, well done. Yeah, we can talk about all the things that are wrong with Britain at the moment, but certainly when it came to this vaccination program, they've done a great job. And uh, so I've been vaccinated. It doesn't make any difference. I can't go anywhere. I can't travel, but I feel a little bit easier. I've been, you know, last time we talked, I said that I was looking for a co-editor on on the Mappery project. And within a few days of the podcast uh, going, in fact, before the podcast went live, I posted a a blog post on the Mapri site about it, looking for a co-editor. And I won't say I was inundated, but I had quite a lot of people contacting me saying they were interested. And I'm delighted to announce that Arno Ferrand, who's a friend of yours, in fact, who you introduced me to Arno, he's joined me as co-editor of Mapri. He's currently shut in some idyllic venue in the French Alps, working from there and editing Mappery at the same time. And so that's exciting. It's lovely to have a a new co-editor on board. It's also exciting because it means some new ideas and hopefully we'll start to do a few things a little bit differently and come up with some new ideas. Not that I think the project's getting flat, but it's always great to have some new ideas and some new energy in the project rather than it being a one-man project. So I'm really pleased about that. And welcome to Arno if you're listening to this podcast. It's a delight having you on the team. And if you're a podcast listener and you don't follow Mappery, it would be a good time to have a look at us, mappery.org or at Maps in the Wild on Twitter. So that's what's been happening there. The other thing that I've been 
doing it, which is not Geo, but I've been doing quite a lot of stuff helping older communities to get connected using Zoom recently. You'd think a year in, everybody who needed to learn Zoom would have learned Zoom. But from our synagogue, you know, we've still got people who are struggling to get into community events and everything. So I've been doing quite a lot on that. And it certainly made me realise that when we talk about digital divides, we typically talk about digital divides and we talk about people from deprived backgrounds and everything. But actually, there's an age divide in technology as well. And um, lots of people who are sort of in their 60s, 70s and 80s struggle with technology. You know, they didn't grow up with it like your generation did, and they really struggle with it. And lots of things that you and I think are obvious and intuitive just aren't to people who haven't grown up with this technology. No, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I mean, hey, I see that myself, you know, with my my parents to a degree, although they're pretty savvy. But yeah, it, it's hard. It's very hard as a creator of a digital service to put yourself in the shoes of people who are just less familiar with the topic and the and and who who lack the foundational building blocks to even begin. You know, and it's so difficult to be able to understand the experience that they have when they're trying to use your tool. We actually see this on on OpenCage quite a lot, kind of a different way in that many people who use our service are students. So they'll be assigned a project from a class to do that requires some geocoding. And so they have minimal experience with geo in any way, shape or form. But they also just have very minimal experience as software developers. And, and this may be one of their very first projects. And, you know, a lot of the support questions that we get have little to do with our service and are just like, you know, how do I call an API, for example, you know, which has nothing to do with our API specifically. But and, and it's a real challenge to write documentation that is accessible to someone at that level, but is not too simplistic also for the power user. And it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was running a software business, you know, and we used to talk about, uh, you know, everyone always talks about ease of use and simplicity and stuff like that. And we used to, you know, the standard line used to be, it's got to be easy enough that your mother or your grandmother could yeah. use it. And that was said as a joke, you know, amongst people who were in the know, when actually, you know, all the time we were talking about semi-professional users but we were using this, this idiom to sort of describe simplicity. But actually, you realize that there's a whole generation, and they're going to be around, hopefully, for quite a long time yet, who speak a different language. They don't speak the language. I remember having to explain what an app was to somebody. You know? I mean, whereas we think that's a commonplace term, but actually it didn't make sense to them. So, you know, I think if you're a software designer, you really need to get a broader audience testing your software. And, you know, you need to be looking at an age demographic when you're getting people to test your software, which I don't think they do. You know, I think the classic software testing team will be a group of junior technical people who are employed to do tests, you know, and they're all in their 20s or early 30s. They're all very tech savvy. And they sit there testing things and running test scripts and everything else. Um, and they, you know, you need some 60 and 70 year old people to test yourself. Sure. 
Anyway. Well, that's a that's a business opportunity for someone to set up the testing group yep. and, and said, you know, say I have a community of 70-year-olds and we'll each test your software somewhere. But yeah, yeah, no, it's a real issue, I think, this idea of like how do I how do I make my technology accessible not just to people who are just like myself, but to less experienced people, older people, people accessing it via different bandwidth speeds, you know. And as we as we see now with the pandemic and and it it, it becomes critical, right? It, it's no longer a nice to have to be able to get on the internet. It it's it's kind of a must have. It's truly become a public yeah. utility. So or or now with you know kids having to learn from home. And things like that. I mean, Stephen, I don't even want to begin to tell you some of the usability issues around my kids and their homeschooling. <laughs> I mean, no. I, I think it's criminal to put an adult into Microsoft Teams. And, you know, I've got my seven-year-old daughter <laughs> trying to literally a pop-up will appear asking her, like in the middle of her call, a pop-up will appear asking her, like, does she want to sync her Outlook contacts, you know, with Microsoft? And it's just, it's just so ridiculous, you know. And bless her. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I guess the other point I wanted to briefly talk about is, of course, we had a GeoMob a couple weeks ago. So our first one of the we year. Did. Big thanks to everyone who came out. We had some very good speakers, and the the best speaker prize went to Helen with about her giving talk about her green ground map, which of, of course you interviewed her here on the podcast a couple of months ago. Indeed. So any any reflections on the evening that you have? Any talks that stood out for you? It was interesting to hear Helen particularly because, you know, I'd interviewed her and in fact it's you know, you're watching a micro business grow in in real time. You know, when I first heard about her map, you know, back in I don't know when sort of late summer or something, and I contacted her and set up the interview. You know, she just started out with this thing. She's now on to her third city, and she's really got something going there, which was great, you know. And um, you know, every time we see somebody at Geomob and then they go on and build a proper business out of it, I think, you know, that's a great story. I was just looking back at the people that we had on that time you know and it was a great selection because we had the i can't remember his name the guy talking about felix wasn't it a procedural gl James, yeah it's very um, cool it was sort of 3d that was pretty cool the 3d stuff and uh reminds me again and again that 3d and and all of that stuff is is just growing and growing all the time and you know it was like sort of really fringe stuff a few years ago, and now it's mainstream. I love James talking about uh, the World Series. There wasn't much geography in it. There wasn't, I mean, my big question that I scribbled in my notebook was why in massive letters, but the why is just because you can, you know, and sometimes it's just great to do that. So I have to say, you know, it's always cool when someone shows off a cool new technology or a thriving business. But mm. my favorite Geomob talks, just personally, are the ones that are just these weird, obsessive hobby projects yeah. like his GeoJSON ballparks, mm. where he's just trying to yeah. collect a GeoJSON representation of every professional baseball field, every baseball field in the world where professional games are played. And it's actually a shockingly yeah. large number. I don't know. You can check out on GitHub. But, you know, and so now he has all this data from all over the world. And um, there's no real point or purpose, but it's just kind of a hobby. 
same way some people collect stamps. Yeah. So why not? And I never, ever will forget my, I think my favorite all-time Geomob speaker was Liz talking about her passion for birds and, um, you know, going out bird spotting and tracking birds and all of that sort of thing. You know, and, and you're right, you know, it is the passions that people have rather than the sort of deeply technical ones that, um, that really sort of capture the, the essence of Geomob, I think. So, yeah, it was a great, great Geomob. And I think we've got another good one coming up in a few weeks' time. Yes, we? uh, 23rd of February. So if you're not signed up yet, please go to the site and get on the invite list so that we can. you'll get the invite. Some very cool talks that I'm looking forward to here, particularly Train Tracker, which I don't know if you've seen this. It's a, it's a circuit board with LEDs on it oh. where either you, I think they have different cities, they have London and New York. So it has the tube map and it's getting the data and it's in real time, you know, lighting up where the trains are. So oh, very cool brilliant. little thing. Yeah. Kenfield has got the London tube map version of that in his home in California. It's a great idea. Yeah, and it's also yeah. I think it's a nice little business. I don't know. I'm curious to hear the talk. I don't I don't know the Richard is the speaker. I don't I've never met him, but um it seems to be doing pretty well. I follow them on Twitter and people seem to like this product. I'm also excited about I mean I'm looking forward to all the talks, of course, but we have a return speaker, uh Mike Hall will be coming back, who is a a professional map designer, illustrator. And he makes really nice maps. Right. Um, he's done a series of maps about London. So I think he has a map for each London borough. I actually have one of his maps of, of central London. It's, it's beautiful, really nice. But he's done done all kinds of different ones all over the world. Or sometimes he'll, I follow him on Twitter as well. And he'll, he'll get commissions to draw maps for books and things. And um, so re- really interesting just to see someone actually, you know, making a living as a, as a map maker. So that should be very cool. And you've just reminded me when you were talking about train tracker, about something that happened over a decade ago, I was in the early days of Geomi, somebody connected us with, showed us the Swiss railways had an app running, you know, we're talking about 2010, that sort of time. So you know, over a decade ago, Swiss Railways had an app where you could see the trains moving across the network, the whole of Switzerland. You know, it was running on top of Google Maps and Google had actually digitized all the train tracks. So, you know, where you had those big stations with multiple tracks coming in, each of the tracks had been digitized. And you had this map of all the trains moving around and it was absolutely mesmerizing and the thing about it was that we were we're sitting there looking at this map you know and there's a group of us who all of whom understand the technology and we're all sort of speculating on how they're doing it and they've got gps and they've got this and they've got that and and everything and then somebody dug a little bit deeper and realized that actually they had none of that they had a. Um, they were playing the time. I see. Yeah, sure. So it's not. It's not because true. Because the point being that Swiss, Swiss Rail was so accurate and so reliable that they knew by the minute where every train was going to be all the time. 
you know, so they had a timetable and they knew exactly where the trains were going to be at any point in time. And they were refreshing them effectively. They were playing back the timetable rather than having GPS tracking. But I thought that was pretty damn cool at the time. Well, if you want, have you seen Open Railway Map? which is, you know, it's a version of OpenStreetMap with all the the rail infrastructure. And you get, oh, oh my God, you get all these people who are like super into it with like, I don't mean just like, oh, here's where the railway is. I mean, like, you know, what type of switch and, you know, what type of junction is it? And, you know, the disused rail lines and all this kind of thing. So we're checking out. Very cool. But actually, to your point about knowing where the trains are, you know, Muthu, the, he was also a guest here on the podcast uh, way back at the beginning, mm-hmm. but the organizer of, of Geomob Munich, he has now moved to Berlin and works for Deutsche Bahn on exactly this project of how do we know where all the trains are. But but I mean, for real, not just playing the schedule, which, which is obviously yeah. non-trivial because you've got to deal with all the weather and all this kind of things. And how do you do this in a cost-effective way and GPS might not work and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that's actually what he works on. So, uh, so we should get into. We should get him to give it. Yeah, when when he spoke, when I interviewed him here on the podcast last time, he had just started that job. So I think he was still. But you know, I mean, the technology is really quite sophisticated. Uh, all kinds of satellite tracking and stuff, and uh, to do that on a fully reliable, cost-effective way is is a big project. So maybe we should get him to talk about it at some point. All right, Stephen, should we should we wrap it up? Okay. I think we should do that. All right. Well, good chat. And dear listener, I hope you can join us at the February 23rd Geomob. And we hope to see you there. See you there. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the Geomob podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and, of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon.